Okay, uh, let's uh, come in to God in prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, we pray that you will now speak to us in your word and through your spirit and fill our hearts and minds with a true knowledge of who Jesus is so that we may believe in him and love him and obey him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now we've all just had another Christmas again, right? How was your Christmas? I hope you all have a good Christmas. Now when you were looking at the Bible reading just now, uh, or you know, hearing it being read, I don't know what you were thinking, probably thinking, oh, Christmas story again. <laughs> I don't know how many times I've heard this story of Joseph and Mary and baby Jesus and the angels and the shepherds, okay? What else could I possibly learn about this story, right? It's read every single Christmas. And so you're thinking to yourself, maybe hopefully this sermon won't be too boring and long and painful, right? Okay, well the funny thing is, we know this Christmas story very well. But the thing is, we do not really talk a lot about it, and we do not really think a lot about it. So let me ask you a question, okay, if you're a Christian. If somebody asks you to explain what is Christianity all about, what is some of the Christian message, okay, what would you say? Would you say the Christian message, the gospel, is that Jesus died for us, or would you say the Christian message is that Jesus was born for us? You know, would you say, would you tell them the Easter story, or would you tell them the Christmas story? See, my guess is that most of us who are evangelical, Protestant Christians will say that the gospel is about Jesus' death. Right? We don't see much significance in Jesus' birth, right? We just, you know, nice time of Christmas, time to enjoy and have fun. But really, if you think about it, why? Did Jesus need to be born? Maybe you think, well, so that he can die. But actually, there's a lot more to Jesus' birth that we can learn. And so today, I want us to think about this question. What is the real significance of Jesus' birth? And what does it tell us about this person, Jesus? And why did Jesus need to be born? Now, is Jesus' birth really crucial to the gospel message? And why? Now, I won't be explaining the whole um, Christmas story to you again because I'm sure most of you are very familiar with it but I just want to pick up a few points in these uh, passages that we've been reading for us to reflect on and think about what is the significance of Jesus' birth. So let's take a look at these passages that we just read in the Gospel of Luke. And the first point that I want to make here is that Jesus' birth fulfills Scripture. Okay, in order to understand the meaning of uh, Jesus' birth, you need to understand the Old Testament background. In fact, in order to understand the New Testament at all, we need to know something of the Old Testament. So, in Luke 1, we read that the angel Gabriel went to Mary to make this very startling announcement, right? We read just now that the angel said, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child. That means you will become pregnant and you give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus and he will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will never end. Now if we know our Old Testament, this announcement will ring a lot of bells in our heads. Right? Because actually the angel is referring to a very important promise that God made to King David, who was the, the greatest king in Israel's history, in case you don't know who King David is. And God said to David, in, in 2 Samuel, this is in the Old Testament now, written way before Jesus' time, okay? 
God said to David, When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, who will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. And he's the one who will build a house for my name. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. And when he does wrong, I will punish him with the rod of men, with floggings inflicted by men. But my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. And your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me, and your throne will be established forever. So basically, God is saying to David, one of your descendants will be my son. I will make him a king. I will establish this eternal kingdom for him, and he will rule on David's throne forever. And this is what God promised to David 1,000 years before Jesus was born. Think about it. It's like making a prediction today of something that's going to happen in the year 3010. Okay? God's promises are amazingly reliable, right? Because 1,000 years after David, what happened? Jesus was born, just as God promised. Jesus is the fulfillment of Scripture. And it's not just this particular Scripture that was fulfilled by Jesus being born. God also uh, foretold in the Old Testament how Jesus would be born and where he would be born. Right? So Jesus' birth, as we all can read today, is not an ordinary birth. It's one of a kind. It's a birth from a virgin woman. And so in the book of Isaiah, it says in chapter 7 that the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And by the way, Emmanuel means God with us or God is with us. Okay? So Jesus is born of a virgin just as the prophet Isaiah predicted and that's exactly what happens. Uh, in the next uh, part which we, we, which we read earlier on in Luke, we see that Mary is a virgin. And the angel said that you can give birth to this son even though you're a virgin because the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you and the Holy One to be born will be the Son of God. Scripture tells us how Jesus will be born and where he will be born. Okay, So in another prophet in the Old Testament called Micah who lived around the same time as Isaiah, he said this in Micah chapter 5, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrata, that is the name of this place, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. So this prophet announced 600 years before Jesus was born that this promised king of Israel would be born in David's town, in the town that David was born in, which is Bethlehem. And again, that is what Luke tells us happened. So we read just now in Luke chapter 2, how uh, Caesar Augustus, that is the Roman emperor, issued this decree saying that everybody has to go back to their own hometown to register for a census. Okay? And so everybody went back to their own hometown. And Joseph, who, he normally lives up in a town way up north in, Gal- in Galilee called Nazareth. He took Mary down south near to Jerusalem to this town called Bethlehem, the town of David, because that is where his home, ancestral hometown is. He belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there. So they didn't go to Bethlehem intentionally thinking, I'm going to go there to fulfill this Old Testament prophecy. They went there because they were forced to, right? By imperial decree, the Roman emperor said, you have to go. And so it just happened that Joseph and Mary, who usually lived in Nazareth, was, were in Bethlehem at the time when Jesus was born. And that is no coincidence. That is all by God's design and intention. 
And so what does it mean? It means that we can be confident of who Jesus is. He's not just anybody off the street. He's exactly what God has foretold and what scripture has prophesied long before him. So God said, I will send a son of David. I will send the king of Israel. I will send this man to be, this baby to be born miraculously from a virgin in a town of Bethlehem. And that is exactly what happened. Jesus is the one who fulfills scripture. And that is the message of Christmas. And the second thing we find out from today's passage is that Jesus is not just a man. See, he's very different to every other human being who ever existed. Because it says he's God. Jesus is God. It says that twice in in the Luke 1 passage that we read. So let me show you. In verse 32 it says that about Jesus, it says he will be great and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And again verse 35, the angel said uh, that the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Now what does Son of God mean? Well, it, it can take various meanings. At one level, it can just mean somebody whom God really loves, somebody that God chooses. So in the Old Testament, God chose Israel as a nation. They were his son. And God chose the kings of Israel, and they were his son. That means that God specially chose them and loved them. But here, when we say that Jesus is the Son of God, it has a much deeper meaning than just that God chose him. You see, let's take a look at another book in the Bible, in the book of John. Chapter 1. Okay, I'll read to you several verses which are up there. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And He was with God in the beginning. And through Him all things were made, and without Him nothing was made that has been made. And this Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. So if I ask you, when did you start to exist? Okay, when did me, when did, uh, you know, Tan Sui Teng start to exist? Well, you could say from the day I was born, or maybe even from the day I was conceived in my mother's womb. But before that time, I didn't exist. But Jesus is different. See, in the book of John, it says Jesus existed before he was born. He was called the Word. And at the beginning of all things, he was already there with God. And in fact, he was God. And he made the whole universe for God. And then this Word, this God, did something really extraordinary. This God who existed in heaven from eternity past became a man sometime in the year 4 BC. He became flesh. He became a human being and came to this world. And the glory of the one and only God came into this world to make God known to us. And that is why Jesus is called Son of God. Because he's not just a human being, he's also God. See, he has, he's God who has come as a person called Jesus. Now just let this fact sink into, sink into your head for a moment. I mean, that is really mind-blowing that God, the Son, would become a little baby, become a human being. Now before that, he wasn't a man. 
But now, he has added humanity to himself forever. See, from the time he was born in Bethlehem onwards, he will always be a man, forever be a man. He will never lose his human body. Now imagine if you were filthy rich. Okay, your house is so big that your bedroom is bigger than a HDB apartment. Okay, and you have your own ensuite en- and whatever. Okay, and you have a beautiful car, you have servants at your beck and call. Now, would you go and live in a tiny tin shack in India somewhere, you know, with no toilet, no electricity, uh, no running water? Would you do that? But that's what God did for us, and much more than that. Because the Creator Himself, the Creator of all things, He was willing to become one of those things that He made, one of His creatures. God stooped down low, and He left His heavenly throne, and limited Himself to become a helpless human baby. And why? Why did God do this? Why did He have to become a human being? I mean, couldn't he just send another man to come and do the job? Or maybe he could send an angel to come and save human beings, right? Why does Jesus, why does God need to become man? And the reason is that only God can reveal God. And only God can save. That is why. So, when the Son of God took on himself human flesh, he didn't stop being God. Instead, he is God, revealing himself and making himself known to us as a man. So, now if the, if the Prime Minister always sits in his office and uh, talks to none of the common people, okay, and you can only read about him in the newspaper, then would you ever really know him? I don't think so. But if he comes to you, and he listens to you, he talks to you, and he lives with you, then you would really know him. And that is what God has done for us. See, nobody has ever seen God. But if you want to see God, and if you want to know God, then look at the person Jesus and listen to Jesus. Because everything that Jesus says is what God is saying. And everything that Jesus does is what God is doing. Only God can reveal God. And also only God can save. Because Jesus said in another part of the Bible, in John, 14, these familiar words, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus says that only God can save. And that's why it's so important for God to become man. See, on that first Christmas day, God became a man to reveal himself to us and to save us. And because Jesus is God, Therefore, He can bring us to God the Father and therefore, He can save us. And that is the message of Christmas. And that is why we also need to believe in Jesus, the Son of God. And thirdly, Jesus is God. But today's passage also tells us that Jesus is born a man. He's not just somebody who, who is, seems like a man, who is God in a human form but not really a man. He's actually a man and really and totally a man. Or at least he started off as a baby, then he grew up become a man. And we must pay great attention to this point because sometimes we tend to skip over this fact. Because we want to emphasize so much that Jesus is God that sometimes we neglect the fact that Jesus is a man. Now I used to wonder at what this word incarnate means. Incarnate. Have you heard this word? 
Okay, if you sing Hark the Herald Angels Sing, you'll know this word in one of the verses. It says, uh, Hail the incarnate deity. Now, incarnate is just a Latin word which means in flesh. In flesh. So Jesus is God incarnate. That means he's God in human flesh. And incarnation means the process by which God the Son takes on him, himself human flesh. That is what incarnation means. Now one thing that uh, we human beings like to do, right, is trace our ancestry. At least some people like to do that. Okay. So when I was in Australia, there are TV shows uh, where you, you know, somebody will come and say, I want to know who are my ancestors. So they'll do all the records and check in the public library and go to London and check and so on. And then they'll tell you who are your ancestors all the way up to the 17th century or even earlier than that. And Chinese do that too. I know in, in my family there is an ancestral record that traces every generation for several centuries. So every single human being has an ancestry and lineage. Okay? It forms part of who we are. It's part of our identity. And so Jesus as a human being has an identity and a lineage. See, the angel said in, the, in Luke chapter 1 that Jesus would be a human king who was descended from the line of David. So physically, he's descended directly from David through his mother Mary, and he's this king on David's throne. And so, he's called the Christ. Okay, the Christ is just a word which also, in another language, is the Messiah. Okay? And these two words mean the same thing. Christ or Messiah, they mean the anointed one. Because in the Old Testament times, kings were Crowned by being anointed with oil, something like that. Okay, so anointed one really means the chosen king, God's king. Jesus is God's king. He's, and in Luke chapter 2, that's what it says. The angel told uh, the shepherds, Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is Christ, his Messiah, the Lord. So Jesus is a human being who has a a family history going back to David and even earlier than that. But he's human not just because of his ancestry, he's human in every other way. So we see that Jesus did not just suddenly come as a full-grown man. He was born like any other human being as a little baby. And he had to grow up to a child and become an adult. And if you have read the Bible, you know that Jesus could be tempted. Jesus could be hungry. Jesus could be thirsty. He would eat and drink. He would get tired. He will have to sleep. Jesus can sweat. Jesus can bleed. Jesus can die. So the good news of Christmas is not just that God has come, but that God has come among us as a man. As a man. See, Jesus is Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. And this baby lying in the manger is actually the infinite God who has been compressed to the space of a little baby. That's who this Jesus is. This helpless little baby is the Almighty God who made the heavens and the earth. And that is the wonder and mystery of Christmas that we often forget. And that is a miracle called the Incarnation. So once again, we need to ask ourselves, why does God have to become man? I can understand that God has to come and save us, but why doesn't God just save us without becoming a man, right? I mean, in the past, He used to save Israel again and again, and He didn't become a man then. So why now? The Bible tells us why in, in the book of Hebrews, in chapter 2. Let me read a few verses to you. Hebrews chapter 2. Since the children, that is, 
we who believe in Jesus have flesh and blood, he too shared in our in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but Abraham's descendants. And for this reason he had to be made like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Why did God have to become a man? Because it's only by being a man that God can save man. See, if Jesus did not take on himself human flesh and blood, then he's not one of us. And if he's not one of us, he can't represent us. And if he can't represent us, he can't die for us. But because Jesus was made like us in every way, therefore he can represent us as our great high priest and he can help us when we are weak and tempted. Now I tell you, if I say to you, if someone asks me, what is it like to be a father? And I say to you, oh, I know all about being a father. I read it in a book somewhere. I, w- I watch other people, you know, being fathers. So I actually can tell you, what would you say? You probably think this guy hasn't got a clue, right? <laughs> but if you ask one of the fathers here, they'll, and you get an answer for them, then you will respect their answers because they know it from real life experience. And God knows what it's like to be human because he has personally experienced it firsthand. We don't approach a God who is far away and distant and aloof from us. No, Jesus is just like you and me. See, he was tempted like us in every way and yet was without sin. And this means that when we suffer, we pray to a God who understands everything that we go through. So do you have physical pain or illness? Well, Jesus knows what pain is. He was on the cross. And have you been betrayed or disappointed by people? Well, Jesus was betrayed by one of those closest to him. And he was let down by all his friends. And have you lost a loved one? Well, Jesus wept at the tomb of somebody he loved. Or are you lonely? When Jesus was hanging on the cross, he was rejected by all the people that he came to save and he was forsaken by his Father who loved him. See, Jesus is God, become one of us. He's God, made flesh, and therefore God is no longer far away from us. God is with us. God is Emmanuel. So are you weak and tempted? Are you frustrated or disappointed, desperate in your life at the moment? Well, Jesus knows what it feels like and he knows what you're going through. So let us come to him and trust in him and keep on trusting in him because he is God in flesh who shares all our weakness and frailty. And that is the message of Christmas. And next we can see from the passages today that Jesus' birth is to bring us salvation. Firstly, in Luke chapter 1, when the angel 
said to Mary, You will conceive and give birth to a son. You are to name him Jesus. And the name Jesus in the original Hebrew language means the Lord saves. God saves. See, Jesus has come to save us. But what does he save us from? You might ask. Well, we didn't read this passage in Luke, but just a few verses later, let me read a, a bit to you. Okay? In Luke chapter 1, verse 76 to 77. And you, my child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Now here, there's a man called Zechariah who is uh, talking about his son John who is to be born. And this John is going to prepare the way for Jesus. Okay, we don't have to worry about the details. Okay? What I want to focus on is what does salvation mean? See, it doesn't necessarily mean being saved from troubles in this life. Like being saved from being poor or being saved from being sick. No, being saved means having our sins forgiven. See, the thing that we need most in this life is not money and not health and not happiness. What we need most is forgiveness. Forgiveness. Why? Because God is our creator who made all of us, who sustains every breath that we take now, every single breath. We depend on Him for for everything in life. And so He expects us to live under His authority, to obey Him and to live for Him. But you know what? We are all rebellious people. We only live for ourselves. We totally ignore God. See, we want to be king. We don't want God to be king. We want to be in the driver's seat. That is what sin is. Sin means rebelling against God, defying God, opposing God. And God is very, very angry. He's very offended by that. And He has a right to be angry. And so to maintain God's justice and honor, God must punish our sin. But instead of punishing us, God sent Jesus, His Son, into this world to take this punishment on Himself, everything that we deserved, so we can be forgiven. And so now we don't have to be condemned to death or hell, but we can be accepted by God and we can be welcomed by God forever if we believe in Jesus. Now how does Jesus save us? Is it enough for him to be born? Well, let me fast forward now to the end of the story, right? The end of Luke's Gospel. And the last chapter in Luke. Jesus has died. And Jesus was raised to life on the third day. And after he was resurrected, he told this to his disciples in Luke 24. This is what is written. The Christ, that is Jesus, will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. How does Jesus save? How does Jesus make us forgiven? It's by his death, his suffering and his resurrection. That is how he has brought us salvation. See, Jesus stood in our place. He took what we deserve. He died the death that should have been ours, so that God can forgive us our sins. And that is really good news. You know, this is huge news. In fact, this is great news. Listen to what the angel said back in chapter 2 to the shepherds. Uh, in chapter 2, the angel said, Do not be afraid. I will bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. 
See, the birth of Jesus is really good news for all of us. It's for all the people. It's for people everywhere. Christmas is about God coming as the person Jesus to save all of us who believe in Him. And if you do not believe in Jesus, God offers you salvation and forgiveness. He's calling you to believe in His Son Jesus and you will be forgiven. That is the message of Christmas. And lastly, from today's passage, we see that Jesus' birth both reveals and conceals God at the same time. And that is a a strange statement for me to make, right? Let me ask you a question. If you want to find a king, where would you look? When I was in London, where would I find the Queen of England? In Buckingham Palace, right? I don't think you'll find her living in a storeroom in a, in a two-star hotel, motel, right? But where was the king of kings born? Well, not in a palace, not in a respectable home in Bethlehem, and not even in a normal room at the inn. He was born in the smelly animal stable. And he didn't have a cot. He had to be put in a manger, which is the place, the trough that the animals drink water from. And who did God give this great privilege of hearing for the first time the announcement that Jesus has been born? Not the kings and the emperors of this world. They didn't get to hear it. And not the religious leaders in Jerusalem. They didn't know about it. Who did the angels announce it to? To the uneducated, humble shepherds. In those times, they used to look down on shepherds. See, God acts in a weak way and reveals himself to weak people. Have you ever wondered why God would do things this way? Well, in the book of 1 Corinthians, let me read to you. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before Him. See, God works in ways that we just don't expect. We don't expect to see God as a helpless little baby. And we don't expect to see God born in an animal stable. And we don't expect God to come as a carpenter's son. And we don't expect to see God dying on a cross. But that's what he did. And that shows God's surprising wisdom and greatness, it says here. You see, it's the exact opposite of what we would consider to be wise and great. But God shows his glory and greatness in weak and humble and despised things. And why would he do that? Well, so that no one may boast before Him. See, God does it so that no one can say, I understand God, I found God by my own strength, I recognize God by my own cleverness. No. Those of us who recognize God, is because God has revealed Himself to us and enabled us to see. And so strangely, Jesus' birth reveals God, and at the same time, Jesus' birth conceals God. Because to those who have the eyes of faith, what do they see in Jesus? They see the glorious Savior and King from God. 
But to those people who don't believe in Jesus, what do they see? Well, they would never have guessed that this insignificant baby born to insignificant parents in an insignificant location, in an insignificant country, would be God and King. Now, maybe you have difficulty accepting the teachings of Christianity. And it all sounds to you so ridiculous. Maybe you think there's nothing impressive about a God who came to earth as a poor man and eventually he's going to die a shameful death on a cross. It all seems so weak, so shameful. Or maybe if you're a Christian, you have difficulty explaining this gospel to your friends. You're a bit ashamed of how silly it all sounds, right? I mean, you don't even sound convincing when you tell them that this is actually great news that can save them. And that's why sometimes we Christians are tempted to dress up the gospel a bit to make it more attractive to people. See, we can try to attract people by exchanging the gospel for entertainment. Or sometimes we may try to modify the gospel a bit, make it sound not so bad. Tell people, believing in Jesus uh, makes you healthy, makes you wealthy, Life will be wonderful because we are ashamed of the true gospel of Jesus, which seems so weak and foolish. But you see, the gospel message from this gospel of the manger to the cross is God's intention to make it weak and foolish and frankly quite embarrassing. But let us wear it as a badge of honor And let's proclaim the gospel with full confidence and pride because it is God's power to save people. And that's what 1 Corinthians says again in another verse, in verse 18, the message of the cross and the message of the manger too is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So don't be ashamed of the gospel. And don't ever feel that you need to apologize for the gospel. Don't subtract parts of it that you think are offensive. And don't add something to it to make it more acceptable. But just keep telling the gospel to those who need to hear it and leave the results to God. And God will use this gospel and in His wisdom, He will reveal Himself in this gospel to those who are being saved. And yet at the same time, He will conceal Himself from those who are perishing. And that is the message of Christmas too. Jesus was born in fulfillment of scripture. Jesus is born as eternal God come in human flesh. Jesus was born to save us from sin, to reveal to those to reveal God to those who believe in him and to conceal God from those who refuse him. And so what is your response to Jesus' birth? If you haven't yet believed in Jesus, let me urge you to put your faith in Jesus today so that you will be forgiven your sins and escape the coming judgment of God. Now, if you want to do that, um, please uh, feel free to come and speak to me later on. Or if you just want to ask a few questions, come and speak to me or to Pastor Andrew. Or if you feel very shy, just speak to the friend who brought you here. And if you're interested to find out more about Christianity, we have uh, Christianity Explored classes So do let us know if you're interested. And what if you are already a Christian? What is your response to Jesus' birth? See, we must never take the Christmas story for granted. 
we must never stop being awestruck and humbled by how great God's mercy and kindness is to us. And never stop praising God and thanking Him for Jesus' birth. And we must continue to believe in who Jesus is, that is, He is fully God and fully man. And we must continue to believe in what He has done for us, that is, He has come to save us from our sins. And we must trust in Him and pray to Him because He shares in our flesh and blood. What is the Gospel? The Gospel is not just the message of Easter, but also the message of Christmas. The Gospel is not just what Jesus did on the cross, but also about who He is. The Gospel is not just the atonement, but the incarnation. Gospel is about Jesus, who is Emmanuel, God with us. And precisely because He is God with us, therefore, He can also be God for us on the cross. So may we never be ashamed of proclaiming this glorious Gospel of the manger and of the cross. Let's pray. Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord, late in time behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb, veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with man to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Hark the herald angels sing, Glory to the newborn King. Lord Jesus Christ, we praise you and we thank you for your grace and mercy. You are God come in human flesh to bear our sins and lead us to the Father. Grant each one of us here today true faith to believe in you and help us to entrust ourselves to you in our weakness and to tell of your good news to all those who are around us, so that glory may be to God, and peace may come to all those on earth on whom God's favour rests. Amen.